When we have a moment like that, when we have a service uh, like this, it's always such like a cool, just emotional high, if you will, in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? We're just like excited because you're seeing physically like the representation of life change and in front of you and, and the excitement that's there and all of that. And it's, it's an amazing thing. Um, at the same time, though, you know, our, our spiritual lives uh, can feel like, uh, like that at some times. And other times it can feel much, much lower. Sometimes we can be in, in the peak, say like a moment like baptism, and the next we drop into the valleys. And when our spiritual lives are like that, that that's something that God never intended because, you know, when, when we get into those highs and then those crushing lows, um, what do we do in those moments? Because unfortunately what we do sometimes as believers and I think even people that aren't believers sometimes fall into this trap as well, is we mistake those highs and lows for the presence of God or not presence of God. And so as we talk over the next few weeks about the valleys and the peaks in our life, that's in many ways what we're going to be looking at, is, is the presence of God and, and how we uh, maybe mistake that and how we put ourselves into places where, uh, where we are looking at that in a way that God never intended. You know, I think back to that service on the 26th of September where uh, Sherry was able to share with us about uh, what happened in her life and, and, and with her family. And, and, we, and we, you know, we weighed into a really heavy topic of suicide that day and, uh, and the ideas of, of depression and, and anxiety that have come from that, the, the feedback that we've received from many of you um, and from many of you watching online um, really told me, I guess, as a pastor that this is something that we need to weigh into a little bit more and that we maybe need to just spend a little more time on. And so we're going to be looking at, at some of the things that we end up battling that drive us to a place of maybe depression and anxiety that, that the world throws at us, that our brains throw at us. And, and the valleys and peaks we mistake for the presence or approval of God. And when we look at it that way, we're really going to a place that God never intended us to go. And so we're going to be looking at things like the provision of God. We're going to be looking at things like doubt and trust, having gratitude uh, for the things that God's done in our life, the, the sovereignty of God. And then today we're going to look, we're going to start it off with contentment. Because contentment, I believe, is one of those things, it's, it's a basic reason that we find ourselves in the valleys and in the peaks. And when we look at the word contentment, I think sometimes we look at that word, we think about the word contentment, and, and we maybe replace that word with satisfaction. That for us, sometimes when you think about contentment, we think about it from the perspective of, of being satisfied. And, you know, unfortunately, I think that's, that's kind of the wrong way to look at it. Um, when we look at it from a perspective of, of satisfaction, I feel that that has a, a temporary connotation to it. If we say contentment is like satisfaction, um, then that temporary peace, it's, it's like, you know, Snickers never really satisfies. It satisfies for a moment, but not completely. You know, um, contentment, it's, it's not an easy thing to come by these days. It's not an easy thing to come by. We're never satisfied. We're always waiting for the rug to be ripped out from under us or for the shoe to drop. Many ways, the last 18 to 20 months has kind of turned us into that in some ways, right? So let me ask you this. What are the things maybe in your life, when you think about your life and you think about contentment, what things do you tend to find contentment in practically? Practically in your life, what are the things that you find contentment in? Is it 
maybe financial security. Boy, if, if, I'm, if I'm financially secure, then, then I can be content in my life. Um, there, is, uh, th- there are many of us that maybe feel that way. Maybe it's, maybe it's relationships. Boy, if, if, I, if I've got something against somebody or I'm, I'm going to, you know, some of the relationships in my life are, are all messed up. It's really hard for me to be content in my life in that, in that moment. Um, you know, maybe it, it has to do with um, just health within our family. Boy, if, if, my, if my health, if my family's health was a lot better, that's one that we can all relate to. Boy, when, when things are good, when I don't have medical bills, <laughs> I, you know, I, I can find contentment in that. But you know what? Are these things grounded in the truth of God's word? The things that you're thinking about, are they grounded in the truth of God's word? Are they prayed over? I would hope so. I would think so. I would think we pray for these things, hopefully. But, you know, God wants us to be content in our lives. He really does. But he wants us to be content in his word and with his wisdom. Hear the difference in that. His word, his wisdom, not ours. Because when we define content with our own experience, with our own expectations, with our own wants and wishes, we are going to come up short every single time. Every single time, we're going to come up short. And I would argue that God can't use you to your full potential until you are at least moving toward a place of contentment in your life. And our attitude is one of the keys to contentment. Our attitude is one of the keys to contentment. Attitude is, if you, if you define it, it's a settled way of thinking or feeling typically reflected in a person's behavior. A settled way of thinking or feeling typically reflected in a person's behavior. So what do we do? And you're like, Jay, are you saying I need an attitude check? Thank you. I was waiting for the missions team to yell that out. So on missions trips that we do uh, a lot of times, we'll, d- we'll do something like this. Because inevitably on a missions trip, you get uh, people and you get people together, whether it's teenagers or whatever. There comes a day throughout the trip where you just start nipping at each other and everybody start usually, yeah, uh, Wednesdays, usually the day, right? Uh, spiritual warfare Wednesday, as we like to call it. And we have to do, we, we do this thing that we'll say, and, and I'll say, attitude check. Jesus! And that's what they'll yell back. And think about, though, as like, funny as that sounds, puts a little smile on your face. At the same time, it puts everything in perspective, doesn't it? Because our attitude should be that of Jesus. And so, yeah, am I saying we need an attitude check? I guess Paul's also saying that as well in Colossians chapter 3. Look at what he says right here. In Colossians 3, he says, Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Renewed in knowledge. So are we talking about an attitude check? Renewed in knowledge, the importance of knowing the truth and letting the truth of God guide our thinking and our actions and even, yes, our attitude. And so it's going to have an effect on our attitude. How could it not? Right? How could it not if we are renewing our knowledge in the image of the creator, which invokes a constant process, doesn't it? This idea invokes the the fact that this is never done. This isn't a thing that just happens like once. This is a thing that is continually happening. And so I want to teach you a principle of God um, that that I learned from an incredible apologist um, in 2012, when I had the privilege to, uh, to go on a missions trip to Wales with our students, and uh, there was a guy there by the name of Ergen Canner, and he taught me this, and it really didn't, I mean, it made sense at the time, but it really didn't make a ton of sense until I started back thinking back on some things in my life. 
And he said this, God won't move you on until you are content where you are. Think about that. God won't move you on until you are content where you are. And it doesn't mean that you have to love where you are in life right now. It doesn't mean that you have to be completely fine with everything that is happening in your life right now or even be happy about it, but we should be content there. We should be content where God has planted us. And why can I say that this is a biblical principle? Uh, because we see it over and over again in Scripture. It's not worded necessarily this way, but we see it over and over and over. John 17, we see Jesus praying to God, and he says, Lord, if you can take this cup from me, I would really rather not be crucified to accomplish our mission here, Father, but, uh, but your will, not my will, be done. See, he, he was content where the Father had placed him. He didn't necessarily want that to happen, but he was content where the Father had placed him. What about Paul? We're going to see some other things in Paul in his life. What about Jonah? He learned that the hard way. Jonah had to turn around and go, okay, Lord, I don't necessarily want to go to Nineveh because I don't like these people. They're the worst, but you want me to go there. And so, okay, he finally got content and where God had placed him and what God wanted him to do in his life. And look what happened at the end. Tons of people came to God because of it. See, contentment is a learned behavior. Contentment is a learned behavior. You have to change your attitude. And it's not just settling for what you've got. Don't, mis don't mishear that. Don't, don't hear that what God is saying is you need to just settle with what you've got. Just, you just need to settle with this. That, settling for it, that's the wrong attitude as well. And I've seen this in my life also. My story with this, when I talk about thinking back on it, I, I have to think back to 2008. And in 2008, I was working for the Carter Lumber Company. And, uh, and prior to that, as many of you know my story, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I want to tell some aspects of it that you probably haven't heard. Um, when I was working for the Carter Lumber Company at that moment, at that time, I was actually really content with where I was. Thinking back on some things, I originally wanted to work for the Disney Company. That got ripped out from under me. I realized that wasn't going to actually be a thing. Um, the girl that I was engaged to cheated on me, so that wasn't going to be a thing. Um, some other things got, got ripped out from under me as well. And so then God started healing me, and, and the path to that ended up being meeting my wife, and we got married, and we started serving in the church together. I got the job at Carter Lumber. Um, we had uh, two kids. We had Gavin and Allie at the time here. Um, we have two more now, if you didn't know that. Um, but uh, but so all, all of these things are kind of happening and slowly walking into this. And, and it goes back actually to the, to the moment that I really gave my life to the Lord and said, Lord, take, take all of me and do whatever you want with me. And it was after all of those things had been ripped out from under me. And so you fast forward to 2008 and I had really come to a place of contentment with God and, and with my life and going, you know what? I love the people I work with here. I love what I'm doing. Do I feel like there's maybe something more for me? Yeah, maybe. But you know what, God? This is where I'm at and this is what I'm doing. And I, I, I love my job and I love the people that I'm working with. I love my church and I love serving there. Val and I were, uh, had a seventh grade boys class um, in, the, uh, in, in the junior high department at the time and we loved what we were doing. We were just serving there. And I was content with where I was. That time that I was at, at Carter Lumber though, there was a guy that, uh, that I befriended and we ended up becoming really, really good friends. But he wanted nothing to do with God. And he couldn't help but hear it from me because church 
and my relationship with God is just who I am. So as we were talking, as we were developing our friendship and all of that, church and God just kept coming up. And he kind of considered himself an atheist, but really he ended up being more of an agnostic because he had had a negative church experience. He had had a, a bad experience there and really was just kind of put off by the church in many ways. And so over the course of time working with him, he and I rode together back and forth to work every single day. Val was watching uh, his son because uh, she does an in-home daycare. And so he would, you know, we would ride together back and forth to work every single day and we would talk and we would even have lunch together um, at, at Carter as well because my office was right around the corner from his. And so we continued to talk about God and continued to talk about God. And he continued to ask questions as I was talking about last week. And I was answering his questions and going through all of that. And just this process, I'm talking a couple of years. I was at Carter for five or six years. And, uh, and so developing this relationship with him, he, he really ended up becoming, and it still is one of my very best friends. And so I'll never forget this day. It was in April and we come home uh, and we get in my driveway after having a pretty deep theological conversation the whole way home and in my driveway he prayed and accepted Jesus as Savior right there in my driveway, which is awesome and an amazing thing. Um, and so he accepts Christ and, and it was awesome. And I come in the house and I'm like, whoo, you know what I mean? Cause like one of my good friends just accepted Jesus and all of that. And, uh, and I mean, you talk about where he's gone from and, and, and everything there. Um, and he's fully involved in his church now. He was a deacon and all of that kind of stuff. And there, there's so much more to his story. Um, it's awesome. But, but here's the kicker. That's like, that's awesome. Don't get me wrong. That's eternity. That's, that's amazing. The next day, I'm not kidding. The next day, the next morning, I was offered the job to be the youth pastor of the church. The next morning. Okay. So you want to talk about being content where I was and then God moving you on. I truly believe, and no one will ever change my mind. I was at Carter Lumber for Andy. That's why I was there. And as soon as he accepted Jesus, God's like, okay, you're done there. Next assignment, right? I mean, like literally the next morning. And, and, and now I'm here. It, so, whew, you know, just like telling that story is just unreal to me. And so is that idea of contentment, I get it. Is my life perfect? No. Do I totally, completely get it? No. Am I still learning how to, how to, how to be better at that every day? Yeah, you better believe it. Is, is my life like, you know, awesome now totally? We're like, our family's just carefree and we're just frolicking through the fields? No, that's <laughs> definitely not, right? Come into my house for 10 minutes. But, but the attitude check, right? The approach is significantly different than it was before then. It's significantly different. I've been more content in my life now than I ever have been because I'm where God wants me to be. I'm doing what God's called me to do. And do I still have ambition? Do I still have goals? Are there still things that I would, I would love to do and passions and dreams and stuff that's way bigger than me? Um, absolutely. If you know me, you know that that's the truth. Um, for sure. But you know what? Those things are wrapped up in the contentment that Jesus brings and his calling and his purpose and what he has for my life and for his church. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter four. I know you're probably wondering, are we actually getting in the Bible today? Yes, we are. Um, Philippians chapter four. And while you're turning there uh, or following along in the Bible app, uh, if you have the Bible app, you can look for uh, Connect Church in Akron, Ohio. Um, and uh, follow along with me there. 
So here, the book of Philippians, Paul, the apostle Paul, he's under house arrest when he's writing this, this letter to the church in Philippi. And, and we know that from the end of, uh, of Acts and, and Acts 28. Um, but he's waiting for his court appearance uh, before Caesar. And he writes this letter to the believers and to the pastors and to the deacons of this church. So he's writing this to the church and uh, specifically to the family of God. Um, and he's understanding the pressures and the stress and the anxiety that is hitting them, the valleys and peaks that they are going through. And so this letter, it's a short letter. It's only four chapters. It's to encourage and give some teaching to the church there. And so this last chapter in chapter four, he talks about the stress and anxiety and really how to deal with it as believers. We're going to unpack it, but we're going to unpack it backwards. And you're going to see why. I'm going to start with verse 10. Let's read this together. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. As he's writing to a church, right? Context. So he's speaking to them. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. So when we read all of that in context, Paul's thankfulness to the Philippians here, it wasn't because he was in need, though he was, he was in need, but because it was good for them to be givers. It was good for them to be givers. And when we give and we serve, our focus on others, that drives out the, the selfish mentality that drives us into the valleys. When our focus is not on ourselves, when our focus is on serving and others, it drives out the selfishness that puts us into the valleys. Let's be honest and be honest with yourself here for a second. When you are in those valleys, when you are in those, those deep areas, those dark areas of your life and you feel like you're in a valley, you can't tell me that you're not being selfish, that you don't have a selfish attitude during those times. I do. We all do. Selfishness, when we get down there, usually I'm being selfish when it comes down to it. Not every single time, but usually. Paul's contentment though, this was not just a theory or just something that, that sounded good. All right, why can he say this? Because you're like, Jay, you don't know the valley that I'm in. Agreed, hold that thought. Let's read about Paul and this list that he gives us here in 2 Corinthians. He says this, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Five different times, right? Jesus got it once. He got it five. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. So he's been financially well off. He's been not so much. 
He's been healthy. He's been really sick. He's been wounded. He's been beaten up. He's been shipwrecked. He's been all those things. I doubt any of us here have a list like that. I hope not. None of us here have a list like that. He was free and he was in prison quite often. He's writing this letter from prison. And if you read all of Philippians and then put in perspective that he's writing this from prison, it really puts a different kind of perspective on, on his attitude in writing this. And it's encouraging. And he says this in Philippians 4.13, this verse that we all well know, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And we read that verse and we hear that verse. And when we see all of that in context, I think we realize that this is not a verse that means I know the Lord is going to help me win the championship. I know that I'm going to score a touchdown, so I better put it on my eye black. That's not what the Lord is, is saying. That's not what Paul is saying here. That verse has been taken out of context so many times. When you, when you really think about what this refers to, this is referring to Paul's ability to be content in all things. This is not the Lord will give me the power to lift up a car. <laughs> to achieve this contentment, Paul needed the strength of Jesus Christ, not the strength of himself, not the strength of anything else, the strength of Jesus. And when we put our hope in, in false ideals, false doctrines, and, and, and we can put ourselves in this valley or a peak of, of worry and anxiety, which can take us really to a dangerous place mentally, spiritually, and, and emotionally. And so when we think about worry, I've defined worry before, but let me define it for you again in case you've never heard it before. A great definition of worry is accepting responsibility that God never intended you to have. Think about that. Worry is accepting responsibility God never intended you to have. God never intended us to worry. Worry is actually a sin. And that's why. Because you are taking from God what he never intended you to have. You're taking responsibility on yourself that you never were intended to have. I struggle with it just as well as anybody else, maybe more so. There's nothing wrong with being concerned about something. We should be concerned, but when we worry, we get to an unhealthy place mentally and spiritually and emotionally when we worry way too much. See, finding contentment helps get rid of worry. When we find contentment, when we are striving toward contentment, it helps us to get rid of worry. Anyone in here a worry wart? Just like, I worry about worrying, right? Yeah, and COVID has really helped us with that, hasn't it? I'm kidding. Um, you know, you, you run the highlight reel in your head and all the time of these different things, you take a whole lot more personally on yourself than you should. Um, the loudest part of your day is at night when you lay down and stare at the ceiling and your head just won't stop. That's me. That's definitely me. Sometimes that's the loudest part of my day, but it can begin to drive you to a place if you don't get a hold of it emotionally, mentally, that you know you shouldn't go. Thoughts, temptations creep in that you know shouldn't be there. You know that you don't want and that you don't need. And then Paul teaches the church about this actually earlier in the chapter. So here's where I said we're going to flip it a little bit. Go back up earlier in Philippians 4 and look at these verses here. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything. We're going to talk about that here in a second. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. 
His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Can I just tell you that the way that that is worded makes it a command, not a suggestion. This is a command. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Another translation says, be anxious for nothing. You're like, but how? Well, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Nothing is left out. Listen, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Whatever that is that you're thinking, I don't want to bother God with that. Stop it. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. And he wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. And there are two aspects to prayer that Paul's actually talking about here that are similar but unique. And that's this. Let him know, right? Let him know about what's going on and thank him for all that he's done. Why? Why does he say to do it that way? Because, well, God already knows. You're like, why do I have to let him know about everything? God already knows. Yeah, he does. He definitely does. But these aspects, they keep our heart and our mind in a place of godly contentment because we let him know and then we thank him for what he's done and for what he's going to do. And if you think about the perspective that that gives us, it gives us a place of, of godly contentment because I can pour my heart out to him. I can pour my heart out to him yet trust him because I've seen him work before and I know I'm going to see him work again. And after praying, the additional piece that then Paul gets into talks about our thoughts and talks about controlling our thoughts. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought about what you think about? You're like, you just gave me a headache. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Have you ever thought about what you think about? Our thoughts, they can control us in this area so much. They can get us focused on the valleys and they can get us focused on the peaks. And if you don't control what, you'll th what you think, you'll never control what you do. If you don't control what you think, you'll never control what you do. You need to change your thinking so God can change your life. We need to change our thinking so that God can change our life. And we don't do that on our own power. We do that with the Holy Spirit's power. We do that with the power of Jesus Christ. And so why do you think Paul talked about, if you look at these verses in order, why do you think he talked about controlling our thoughts before he talked about worry? You should know the answer to that by now. It's obvious. If you don't ask the Holy Spirit to help and use his power to control what you think, then your thinking will control you. Your thinking will control you. You're going to remain anxious. You're going to remain worrisome. And you're going to possibly get to a place of, of depression and, and, and stay there. And that control and releasing the control of those things starts with us finding contentment in the Lord. There is a war in your mind and in mine. There is a war in our minds. And we will lose if we try to fight it on our own. We will lose if we try to fight it on our own. And too many of us here are trying to fight that war on our own. You cannot have a positive life if you have a negative mind. You won't have a positive life if you have a negative mind. That's what it says in Philippians. 
If you have a negative mind, you will never find contentment in the Lord or in this life, which is why he's saying these are the things that you should think about. Think on these things. What are we thinking about? What are we thinking about that pushes us to discontentment, that pushes us to stress, anxiety, depression, those things? It's the opposite of what Paul tells us to fix our thoughts on. The things he's telling us to fix our thoughts on, if you really break it down, they are character traits of Jesus Christ. He's saying, think about God and who he is, not what you're not or who you're not. Think about who Jesus is, not about who you aren't. So that's why the connection point for the morning is this. Contentment is not contingent on our circumstances, but on God's faithfulness and his provision. Contentment, it is not contingent on our circumstances, but on God's faithfulness and provision. And when we get to a place of discontentment and worry, it's because we are flipping this. It's because we are making our, our contentment being having everything to do with our circumstances and with the things going on in life, it, having everything to do with the valleys and, or with the valleys and the peaks. Let's do those hand motions the right way. But I mean, honestly, think about it. When, when, our, content, when our contentment is contingent on our circumstances, we're never gonna remember or even think about God's faithfulness. We're not gonna be focused on his provision for our life. We're gonna be in a place of selfishness and we all do it. And sometimes... The best way for us to even start to take a step toward that is to just remember the faithfulness of God and to renew our mind and knowledge in the image of of our creator. I got a little homework for you. You may be struggling in this area a lot. I know many of us are. I want you to think about this. At the beginning of the message, I I started... um, by asking, what are the things that, that you find practically that would find contentment for you? List those things out. If you're a person that takes notes, writes notes, put a note in your phone, something along those lines, something, sometime during this week, list those things out that you might think would bring you contentment. Whether it's financial security, relational health, health in general, so on, whatever that might be. Pray those things to the Lord. Pray them to God, asking him to move in those areas and to show you his provision in those areas that maybe you're just completely overlooking so that you can really discover your contentment in Jesus. Because if it is contingent on your circumstances, you're gonna come up short every single time. Every single time. See, this is an attitude change that flattens out the peaks and the valleys. And the enemy wants you to just be dealing with the peaks and the valleys all the time. And that's never what God had intended for you. Will you bow your heads with me? Finding contentment doesn't mean that everything's gonna be perfect in our life. Just like how baptism doesn't mean that you're, you're going to be perfect from that point on. It just means that you acknowledge that you are perfectly forgiven, perfectly loved, and that Jesus paid the price for every sin that you've ever done or you will ever do. And that good news helps to put us on the road to contentment. And it pushes 
the enemy aside because our thoughts are focused on things above. The good news, the gospel of Jesus, victorious over this life, and he's living inside every one of us who have put our trust in him. And if you've never put your trust in him and you're struggling with contentment, maybe you realize contentment is driving you to a place, a deep, dark place that you know you have no business going to and that's gonna drive you to an even darker place, can I just invite you to put your faith in Jesus and let him take care of it and be content with who he is and where he has you in this life and focus your thoughts on things above. Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you that you want us to find contentment in you because, Lord, we are never going to find it in this world. We're never going to find it in any person. We're never going to find it in stuff. We're never going to find it in our bank account. We're never going to find it apart from you, God. We can find temporary satisfaction. That's as far as we can go without you, Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that if there are some of us here, and I know there are, that are here watching online that are struggling in this, in this area, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way through them, that they would surrender to you, Lord, that they would surrender their circumstances. And Father, I pray that all of us would surrender our thought life and that we would think about the things that we think about, that we would think about things above because, Lord, we'll never have a positive life if our thoughts are only negative and our thoughts are thinking about things that you don't want us to think about. God, if there's one here watching online that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that today might be the day that they make that decision. I pray that all of us Lord, would, would just be able to lean in to the things that you've done in, your li- in our life that we're doing and that you're doing in our lives, God, and not focus on the stuff that is gonna just come up short every time. Yes, Lord, there are things that we need to be concerned about. There are things that we need to handle and take care of. But God, when we worry, we take it out of your hands. And as followers of you, we need to remember to leave it in your hands. And we thank you that, that you are faithful and that you protect and provide for each and every one of us. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.